Before the pandemic, just 4% of Vivo's music video business was on the connected TV. Today, it is half. Vivo's head of West Coast sales explains how the company got it done and what it means to its ad business. Listen on to find out more. This week's edition of our Inside the Stream podcast. That was Colin Dixon at the top from Endscreen Media, and I'm Will Richmond from Video News. And before we get into our interview with Andrea Zapata from Vivo, we want to just do our quick curation feature. Uh, what caught our attention this week? And Colin, obviously, Netflix was right at the top of the list. It was, Will. But before we get into that, I'd like to thank our sponsor for this week's podcast is Verizon Media. More than 10,000 of the world's largest media companies trust them to truly connect with viewers. Learn why at vz.media forward slash Verizon Stream 21. And we'll include a link to that in our posting. So yes, Will, as you said, Netflix had a I would say a trying Q1, I think that's probably the best way to put it. Um, they had forecast gaining 6 million subscribers. They only gained 4 million, 2 million less. Uh, and it looks like that downturn was pretty much universal across all of their markets. So there was a lot of discussion I noted in the call about competition. Uh, was that a factor? Well, it seems primarily to have been COVID-19 and the fact that they pulled forward a lot of the subscribers that would have subscribed later, they pulled forward into 2020 and that seems to have impacted their numbers in 2021, right? Yep, that is what they said. And, uh, you know, what really struck me, Colin, was the forecast for Q2, which was just a million subscriber additions globally. And they said that they could see um, UCAN, which is the North American uh, market, and uh, Latin America potentially losing a couple hundred thousand subscribers in Q2, which would not surprise me at all. They lost uh, subscribers in Q2 two years ago in Q2 of 2019 pre-pandemic. So they've been tracking for that for some time. We know that there's uh, real saturation happening here in the U.S. market. But they were still bullish on the back half of the year, um, pegging the optimism on some franchise titles that are going to be coming out uh, next seasons and some new movies. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with Netflix. Um, but actually supporting the point about the soft Q1, there was also some interesting data this week from Kantar, which talked about what the share each of the main SVOD uh, players received in new subscribers in Q1. Uh, and Netflix was actually down in, um, in sixth place uh, with just 8.5% share of new subscribers. And that lagged significantly for HBO Max, which was at the top with 14.4%. Amazon Prime Video was next at 13.2%. Paramount Plus in third with 11.8%, Disney plus just slightly behind that at 11.6, Hulu at 10.6, and then Netflix. So uh, I think it goes um, to show a little, again, more support 
for the weakness in the Q1 additions. That's what Netflix really uh, pinned the underperformance on. They said that churn had actually returned to pre-price increase levels, pre-pandemic levels. So um, that was the issue. It sounds like they're just hitting a soft spot in terms of adding new subscribers, right? I think that's true, Will. And uh, I guess the third story that I'd like to point out, so our readers should probably catch up, and this is about Paramount Plus. Couple of couple of pieces of news about Paramount Plus. They're shooting for 65 to 75 million subscribers by 2024, and part of the way they're they're going to do that is they're going international. And uh, I, I think it's going to be challenging. Well, it's the market's very very competitive now. Uh, so I think they have a pretty good offering here in the States. Internationally, it's going to be much more difficult for them. They're going to market, I think, in a lot of markets with some of their prime properties wrapped up in other licensing deals. So I noticed, for example, in the UK, if you want to watch Star Trek Discovery, you need Netflix. And if you want to watch Picard or Star Trek Lower Decks, you've got to have Amazon Prime Video. So they'll be going to market there with a brand that's not fantastically well-known and a little bit hobbled in the top billing uh, top billing titles that they have. So I think I got a feeling it's going to be pretty challenging for them. So uh, I don't know. No, we'll have to see how that works out. All right. Well, without further ado, we are very pleased to have Andrea Zapata, who is the VP of West Coast Sales for Vivo, join us. Thanks, guys. It's great to speak with you today. And would you like to just say a few words about your background before we get into the discussion, Andrea? Absolutely, sure. So uh, my name is Andrea Zapata. I am with Vivo, the VP of West Coast Sales. I also oversee our multicultural and our local lines of business as well. Um, I've been with Vivo for a little, um, a little under a year. And previously, my, my background actually is in measurement data and um, in traditional research. And so now I've got my hat directly in the revenue uh, line of business. And it's been a lot of fun in the last year here at Vivo. Well, let's start. Let's go ahead and start with a data point that you shared with us uh, previous to uh, starting the recording, which is really mind-boggling. Vivo's connected TV ad revenue increased from four percent of total in Q1 of 20 to 40 percent of ad revenue in Q1 21. Pretty incredible increase. Why don't we just get started by you explaining to us, uh, telling us more about how you how Vivo accomplished that? Yeah, so when you say it out loud, it does sound indeed pretty mind-boggling, um, but we were really intentional about how we wanted to go to market. Um, I'd say in the, at the very beginning, actually, of, of 2020, um, prior to even me getting here, the leadership team at Vivo had been actively working to get distribution across what I'd call the virtual MVPD landscape, but really checking the boxes and making sure that Vivo was um, where fans and where audiences, where consumers wanted to watch it. And that was really bringing music video back to the living room. Um, so this was a, a two year prior to 2020 process. And then in 2020, first quarter, uh, while we were going out to market with the idea that yes, we did indeed have a CTV offering, the marketplace knew us as a mobile first entity or a digital, you know, or, or a digital native um, offering to the marketplace. And so 
when first quarter happened, obviously of last year, it was still nascent days as far as the ad market, understanding and leaning into CTV, us also wrapping our, our minds around our go-to-market offering. But in short order, as we all know, second quarter happened, COVID hit, we were all sheltering at home. Not only were we seeing an increase in viewership in the living room to music videos, not only here in the US, but globally, but we also set into motion in real time, our strategy to speak to the marketplace about the value that Vivo could bring in a very traditional, I call it linear environment, right? It's in the living room. It's the best available screen in which to watch this beautiful content. And so we had a, we had a, I'd say a two to three prong approach uh, to one distribution right, leaning into um, where audiences were consuming. So that was one, we checked the box with that. And then two, it was getting a digital native ad sales team to actually learn this world of convergence, to actually talk about our offering, not just as in as impressions or premium video, or just this place where you could, you know, put incremental dollars um, to offset or to actually augment your linear buy, but to actually show up like a television network, like a music television network. That's right, like MTV of 2001, right? And so to take um, my role specifically out here in the West Coast, and I grew up in television, we were doing Media Math 101s on Fridays of last summer, and we were talking about grips and trips and what is an upfront and how do you think about um augmenting and but not only that but really reaching audiences in different day parts right and and really flipping the switch on how we consultatively went to market about taking a an, again a digital native offering and putting it into a more television like conversation especially when it came to planning and buying um, the marketplace leaned in i'd say around third quarter of last year and really ramped into fourth um, if you remember this was a time where sports were condensed or full on canceled. If you remember, there was questions whether there would be even primetime lineups on our traditional broadcast networks, television networks. And yet we still had large advertisers who were saying, I still need to reach a lot of people in a simultaneous fashion um, in short finite windows of time in the fall. And so we started having a conversation with advertisers, longstanding partners with us to say you've purchased us in, in a fashion that we've, we've recommended to you. And now we're gonna ask that as our business is bifurcating, right? as we're seeing not just audiences starting to really cue in the living room to start complementing what you've traditionally done about around mobile and, and start really leaning into CTV. And I mean, it's it was sort of an answer, I think to a lot of our advertisers or the buyer's sort of dilemma of trying to reach points right in the living room and being able to do it in a different environment that's still really traditional and familiar um, but then also it it was part of our master plan to get a you know traditional a digital ad sales team to to start growing up or start really realizing that they could show up in a different way and talk to digital planning and, and buying teams but also talking to tv planning and buying teams or if they were so lucky to speak to those teams within agencies that were actually convergent at the time. So, so where do you think you are in that process? I mean, obviously, you know, maybe maybe com comparing upfronts and new fronts for us, uh, how that works out for you. Where are you with that? Yeah, that's a great question as well. I, Vivo has um, 
historically, I'd say the last three to five years, um, been out to market saying that we are a video offering where audiences cum. And so we've been really quite fortunate to negotiate upfronts with, with all of the large holding shops. Um, of course, we're still in that, that digital world with the new fronts, right? We're not, we're not placed with the, the, the traditional television linear upfronts who are now obviously leading with their streaming offering, right? Um, and I do believe we're gonna converge at some point and there will be an upfront, new front, like just one thing. Um, but for right now, we do participate actively in the new fronts, but the way that we are going to market and the conversations we've been having historically with our largest partners is that we are a video solution full stop. Um, so for right now, as we head into the second quarter, what's been really interesting about our CTV offering is that it, while we have massive, dis we, have, we have distribution, we have really healthy scale in the living room, there's still constraints on it, right? And so we have to start thinking about um, how do we offer it to the marketplace in a way that allows us to build a liver, do right by the inventory that we're holding on to and that we want to offer to the marketplace in a smart way. Um, and then also make sure that that all the agencies that have been working with us in the past has an opportunity to participate in the inventory in the, in the CTV environment. So hopefully that answers your question. So maybe Andrea, Andrea you could just pick up a little bit more on um, how you're thinking about programming and how you're reformatting uh, you've mentioned, and I've read elsewhere about Vivo creating these sort of virtual linear channels, if you will, um, trying to program for more of a longer form experience rather than just a one-off consumption of a video here and there, uh, which is really what connected TV in the living room caters to. So maybe you could just describe a little bit more about how your how Vivo is looking at programming and really reprogramming its content. I think for what we're doing here at Vivo, it's it's still early days as far as how we think about um, how music videos show up in the living room. Uh, when I said earlier, we have distribution agreements across the board, Samsung, Samsung TV+, Roku, Apple TV, they all have very distinct environments that offer different opportunities for us to create personalized, curated, or even, you know, traditional sort of genre networks or channels, right? So we have um, in different environments created pop, Latin, um, country. We have a number of different networks that that users can tune into. I call them networks because they really are the modern day way in which to consume the music music videos. It's like MTV on steroids. If MTV had MTV one, two, three, or like ESPN, you have the Ocho, right? We're able to provide, um, I think, a really compelling experience and personalized experience in the connected television space. Like I said, it is still early days as far as how we're thinking about programming. Um, in a way that's, that is relevant to the user itself. But we have found that when um, fans are watching music video in the living room, they're spending more time than they ever have before. So north of 45 minutes to an hour, um, we're finding co-viewing being a very real thing. So we have a partnership with T-Vision and they tell us that there's two plus persons in the living room watching music videos at the same time. We know that if we extend it to mobile and we also look at, at um, PC, there's on average about 70% of, of all of the viewership is happening with, the, with more than two persons. So this extends, this makes sense, right? Um, we had talked earlier um, a little bit of offline, but about potential dance parties, right? And people actually leaning into looking for 
for content um, on the screen that brings joy or that brings sort of a sense of passion or takes us out of this like moment in time where every day feels like a groundhog's day. And I think music videos just automatically spark um, a different kind of emotion in in the, when you're viewing them when you're viewing them. And so um, our ability to to really reimagine what music video can look like in the in the in the uh, linear or sorry the connected television space is happening right now. And I look forward to seeing what our, our CMP or our content and programming team do um, in the future. They have been doing these blocks. So for example, um, during the weekend with one of our largest providers, we did something with the weekend. And while he didn't have new content to premiere, we were able to put blocks of programming together that really spoke to the relevancy of what he was doing. It was an anniversary of what he had done in the past. And we saw that that was the most viewed content that happened um, across that partner um, for that weekend, right? The weekend was the most watched on the weekend. Uh, what was compelling about that is because we had packaged it together in a really compelling way, while Justin Bieber had also just launched, launched an album and had also dropped a music video, he was the second most watched, right? So we quickly wrapped our minds around the fact that if you really do um, intentionally curate content and put it out there in a way that's compelling, viewers will tune in. So the following weekend, we did something with Justin Bieber, right? And so I think for us, um, it's a learning process and we use the content along with our audience behavior um, to really proactively create what we believe is going to be um, tune in, lean in experiences, engaging experiences in the living room. So you aren't just settling on, you know, the usual demarcations like a hip hop channel or a Hispanic channel, salsa, black, you're, you're, you're actually going a little bit deeper, right? You're giving us you're giving us moods as well, mood program channels. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I mean, I think this just takes it one step further, right? When you think about the fact that um, music videos do elicit certain moods, how can we use um, our data science team, AI, to actually build um, opportunities, not just for our consumers, our audiences, but also for brands to engage with audiences in a way that's I, we think more um, contextually uh, relevant, right? So moods um, is where we believe art meets science and, and it enables brands to align ad creative with music videos that convey very specific sentiments. Um, so we pulled an extensive list of our most watched videos um, across our catalog and we essentially were able to analyze the energy and the tone of genres across the decades. One thing I think it's really important because I am a former researcher, right? It's that it's not just the most buzzed about content that gets viewed. Yes, people tune in to watch the latest premiere from Justin Bieber or from Jay Balvin, right? Absolutely. But they quickly get into the rabbit hole of all of the music catalog that they can find. And then also thinking about like artists, right? And so I always thought it was absolutely incredible when you would look at some of the most watched videos, you could like it even last week or two weeks ago, when you think about um, the passing of DMX, he was the third most watched artist on Bebo for that week in the US, right? Like Sweet Child of Mine from Guns and Mo Roses still garners billions of views every year, right? Um, but it is a really interesting way in which for us to actually harness the knowledge that we have, then do an analysis on the context and the, and the mood of the actual video, not just looking at what audiences are watching, but really dig deep into the messaging of the um, music video itself. And we've grouped them into four moods. So one is impassioned, the other is heartfelt, empowering and fun 
And we find that that brands are starting to lean into this, especially when you think about the fact that the world is going to be moving to a cookie cookie-less world, right? And we have to start thinking differently about how we use context and cultural relevance to meet engaged consumers wherever they may be. So we're we feel like we're a couple steps ahead of where I think the entire marketplace is really going to have to start leaning in and thinking differently about how they um, place their creative. So you mentioned selling on uh, context and relevance. Sounds like you're looking at data pretty heavily. Maybe you could talk a little bit more about how you're transacting. Are you focused on programmatic? Is that a growing part of uh, Vivo's business? Is it mostly direct at this point? Where do you see things going from here? That's a great question. Um, I will say most of our our revenue is garnered through direct sales. We do have a programmatic opportunity. Um, and we also, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention it, we um, also engage with multicultural and with local. Uh, we're an offering that scales, and this is what's mind-boggling when you said earlier, sort of like our ability to really nimbly move into the CTV space. We're also an offering that is global, it's national, it's regional, and it's hyper-local. Um, it reaches not just lots of different geographics, but it also reaches lots of different types of people. So again, we're going to reach 25 million people a day. We reach half of the U.S. population every month. We reach half of Hispanics every month. We reach half of Black Americans every month. We are 18 to 34 and 18 to 49 in buckets, but we also still reach 25 to 54-year-olds. We can really slice and dice the way in which you want to think about media planning. And that's not even getting into the fun stuff of, oh, that's right. You know, our our Latin, uh, our Latin genre is the second most watched of all of our content, right? It's pop, it's Latin, and then it's hip hop. It's not even talking about moods. It's not even talking about day parts or really getting into a prime roadblock, right? In the living room or augmenting it with more of a one-to-one -one experience with mobile. So there's just a ton of, of ways that you can engage with us. And, and again, programmatic being one component of many marketplaces that Vivo uh, can, can be activated. And I think for, for us last year, going into the early part of this year, we were intentional with the idea that we're gonna start with the living room. We are, we think, early pioneers of being able to um, look at convergence, streaming, internet enabled, all, anything you wanna call it, right? We, we know that music videos, they started in the living room 30 plus years ago. They were a pioneer in getting cable actually into everybody's home, right? It was like, I want my MTV. And it was probably one of the main reasons why people signed up. That one and ESPN, right? And so for us, it's like, well, this is the early days of connected television um, viewing. And it's got the beauty of not just having really personalized and, and new ways in which to think about how you can program. There's also less ads per pod. So it's less cluttered, right? We don't have, we're not beholden to the five to seven ads um, in a commercial break. We can actually make that experience better. Um, but we're we're there already in the living room and we have scale. And so now it's really up to the marketplace and our job, obviously, to educate the opportunity that we see um, where, again, I think the entire marketplace is heading in the next two to three years, if we're not there already. Yeah. I think people forget how influential MTV was and I, I think they also forget they it kind of made Viacom really 
<laughs> it was their crown jewel, mm-hmm. wasn't it? Um, so you, you packed a lot in there. And I, I guess uh, I, a couple of things that I'd like you to, to tell us about uh, as we move towards the end here. And what are you doing for post-pandemic planning? We're expecting, I mean, I'm expecting people to spend a little bit less time in front of the TV, in, front of, in the living room going forward. Um, I'm wondering how that's impacting your planning. And just generally, um, how do you think you've seen a bunch of behaviors that are going to stick around going forward and how you're thinking about that? For us in our house, we believe strongly that music video going back to the living room where I think it was always intended, like that's going to stick and people are going to ultimately want to watch the their, the content that they want to, music video being one of them, sports being another, live news, all of that in a way that makes sense to them, right? Technology has enabled it. We've had a year in which to embrace this new experience. And I don't think it's going to go away by, by any means. And so for us post pandemic, uh, we often like to say, you know, our music videos like to play to a crowd, right? Whether it's you and one other person or you and 10 others doing a dance party, God willing, post pandemic, right? <laughs> and so um, I think that ultimately we are going to continue to see our scale increase. I will say early days, we saw huge spikes. Television actually, believe it or not, did see for that first month after like huge engagement with, that's right, old school linear television, right? And that we then saw actually started to go back to sort of its norm pre-COVID reality. With us, we saw the huge spike, we saw it taper just a bit and then maintain. Right. So I think it's going to be really interesting and we'll be keeping an eye on it. But I don't I don't see our audience or our engagement tapering off much. In fact, I do see it growing. Um, and it's obviously our responsibility to create more engaging experiences in the living room to keep viewers there. But at the end of the day, this behavior is what it is. And um, I'm excited to see not just how audience lean in, but how we start to measure it, how we, how we actually start to making sure that not just counting, like how many, how often on duplicated across various um, platforms, but then ultimately, you know, how does it impact upper to middle to lower funnel um, KPIs? But that's a whole nother topic. And maybe in two years, we'll be closer to, to being like that was figured out. All right. Well, we'll be sure to have you back on the podcast, back on the Inside the Stream podcast. Uh, Andrea, to catch us up on that. But in the meantime, it's been great to have you. Congratulations on all the success that you and Vivo have had. Sounds like CTV has become a big part of the business and you're anticipating that it's going to continue to be a big part of the business as uh, as we emerge from the pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, this has been a real pleasure. Colin, Will, thank you so much for having me. So enjoyable. Thanks. Um, great. Thank you, Andrea. We will definitely be asking you back. So thanks very much. <laughs> okay, thanks. Thank you. And once again, we'd like to thank the Rising Media for sponsoring this episode of Inside the Stream. They are connecting people to their passions with delivery streaming security and the future of edge computing solutions that help brands to reach their goals and future-proof their businesses. To learn more, visit vz.media forward slash Verizon Stream 21. And thank you, Verizon Media, for sponsoring. And I just want to remind everybody, I noticed, Will, that some people are still picking up inside the stream from uh, my, the End Screen Media channel. And I'm, I suspect that they're probably still picking it up from where you've been posting as well. We just want to remind you, you need to change. You need to switch to the inside the stream 
channel. Uh, so find that in your podcast manager and add it, and then you'll still be able to hear us there. Okay, great, Tom. I think that wraps us up for this week. So thanks everyone for listening in on uh, this week's version of Inside the Stream. Tom, we'll see you next week, and we look forward to having more guests on the podcast with us again soon.